Hello, and welcome to Marriage Unchained, the art of one flesh, where saving marriages, saving families, and saving souls is the flavor of the day. Now, let's join our host and author of Marriage Unchained, Catholic Alpha Radical, Jerry Jacobs, Jr. Hello, and welcome to Catholic Alpha Radical Live, baby, the podcast that helps you fix your Catholic marriage while also giving you winning tactics for marriage problems, girlfriend problems, and intimacy problems for men. But moreover, where my main mission is to keep you out of divorce court and where marriage unchained, the art of one flesh, divorce, combat coaching is the flavor of the day while also helping men understand marriage and courting, not dating in the Catholic faith. Why? Because dating is for sex and courting is for marriage. In this 158th episode, our monthly questions on Christianity segment, Husbands Get Off Your Butt and Learn Your Faith with Catholic theologian David L. Gray. Plus, live calls from you answering your marriage and crisis questions. So, Get your Catholic marriage questions answered now by calling 313-RADICAL. That's 313-723-4225. Or call in using your browser at callinstudio.com slash radical1 for some resolution to your marriage confusion. So, as we always do, we start off with a quote from the day. Quote, In divine service and in marriage, therefore, there should be a generosity which goes quite beyond the limits of justice. The neighbor who offers to come in for an hour to help and stays too, the doctor who, in addition to a professional call, drops in just to see how you are, the husband and wife who vie with one another in love, all have understood one of the most beautiful effects of love, its zeal, which makes them fools for one another. We are fools for Christ's sake. Corinthians 1, 4, 10, end quote. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, book, Three, to get married. I've helped hundreds of men in their marriages. Allow me to help you in yours. Get live Catholic marriage help Tuesday through Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern, for some resolution to your marriage confusion. And so we are back, and so we're going to get rocking for today. Today is our segment um, that uh, we've created to help us all learn our faith better. Uh, This is so, so very important. Um, People today are confused on God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and what they are expecting of us and his church. Um, And so what we decided to do is try to help people, to inform people, Um, to help guide people um, and to understand better the mission of Christ and his church. So 
Today's guest is David L. Gray of St. Demonics, I'm sorry, stdominicsmedia.com. David is the founder, president, and publisher of St. Dominic's Media and davidlgray.info. David is also the author of The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry and Dead on Arrival, The Seven Fatal Errors of Solo Scriptura, to name a few, which is why he is so great for this segment. <laughs> he is also a Catholic theologian and historian. David has been uh, married seven years to his beloved Felicia. He has four daughters. And today, I and David start our monthly series on learning the faith called Questions on Christianity, the Catholic Faith Explained. In this monthly series, we will discuss the faith in its complete fullness and begin learning what Christ intended for us and his church. And as always, we will take your calls as well. Gentlemen, we must begin to realize that as husbands and fathers, we can no longer be ignorant to God and what he is asking of us. This is the only way to expose Satan in our homes and confront him. You are not a normal man anymore. You are a Christian soldier. And now it's time to get on board to what that actually means. Learn your faith in order to protect your home. And so uh, with that being said, we're going to take a break real quick and then come back and start talking to my man, David. But the main thing is to understand, fellas, that we've got to get our heads out of the sand. We really do. You know, Christ is calling us to be with him. And in order to be the man that our wife needs, the father our children need, and the man God is calling us to be, we must be informed. Just like when I did the series on mortal sin, it was, it, that was a five-series uh, show, a five-show series. And it was a lot, but man, look, if you start to understand that and how that works, you, you'll start to un start understanding your faith better. And what better way to learn how to protect yourself from Satan and how to deal in this crazy world than to understand the faith in its fullness, which is, of course, the Catholic Church. Okay, so with that being said, we will be right back with my man, David. So stay tuned. Bam. If you're getting value from this podcast and would like more personal marriage help, visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for an opportunity to work with me personally for free. Yes, within 30 days, learn how to become a better husband that attracts your wife back to you. Visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com and get a plan tailored specific to your marriage and situation. I've helped hundreds of men in their marriages. Allow me the chance to help you using my personal and gained experience. Visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for superior coaching for your marriage. Again, SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com. That's SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com to become the man God created you to be and the husband your wife needs. Lastly, I always get the question, why don't you help women? And I always answer them, I do. So for all of you beloved wives out there that want to reignite that feeling of emotional closeness and complete love from your hubby, consider marriage coaching and visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for an improved marriage within 30 days. All right, all right, and so we are back, and let's get on rocking with our questions on Christianity segment with Mr. David L. Gray. Hey, David, how are you doing, brother? 
Mr. Jerry Jacobs, pleasure, Junior. Happy to be back in here, man. Looking forward to the the show and to the calls. Good, good. And and you know what, man? I'm trying to think if every time you come on, I should read your bio, but I have decided that I'm going to do it every month. I'm going to write it the same way. I ain't going to, I ain't going to skimp. <laughs> so man, look, starting out, man, let's just keep it real and, and get it going. You know, what is your, what is your take on the face today? I mean, really the face and how it's being presented and things like that. Um, yeah, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> I know. So the one thing about the Catholic faith, right, I, I will say this, how it's being presented is that the essence of it has never changed for like 2000 years. It's been this, the essence has remained the same. And so what do we mean by the essence? The essence is that parts of what we call a liturgy, the liturgy is our worship, is our public worship. It's the ritual, some might say. The essence of it has never changed because the essence of the mass is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. So when people in this world, you know, they, they present objections to God himself or objections to Christianity, they'll say things like Jerry, they'll say things, Oh, Jesus wasn't real. He's just a, he's just a fictional character in the Bible. There's, there's no way you can prove that Jesus is real. The great thing about being a, a cat, Catholic is that you could just tell someone, well, if you want to see. Oh, no. What happened? Oh, no. Is that technology or what, y'all? Being attacked. That's what happens, man. That's what happens, man. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, he has been, hopefully, he'll, well, he'll come back. And I'll let him back in. I do not know what happened. Um, I think his Wi-Fi started going. Well, David is in Germany, so that could be it too. Um, and so what we'll do is we will go up. Oh, there he goes. He's trying to come back in. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened, dude. Okay. Did I drop off? Yeah, you dropped off like you were gone for real. And then <laughs> you was gone. It was blank. I was trying to fill in. <laughs> All right. But where did, I, where did I leave off? Did I say uh, anything, Jerry? Yeah, you did. You said a lot. You were just saying that the, the uh, you know, how Christianity, I mean, how the Catholic faith, people kind of don't really understand like the Christianity and the Catholic faith and how it's being presented and stuff like that. That's kind of where you left off. Yeah, so I, I would say, so the essence of Catholic worship or the the most fundamental thing about Catholic worship, I think, is, is unique. And the most important thing to know is that the essence of it has not changed in 2000 years. Right. 2000 years has been the same essence. Now, by essence, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a parts of the mass that doesn't change. Now, there's elements that does change. They, they've been changing and they change. That's what we call the liturgy, the, the worship, the expression, how what the how the essence is delivered to you sort of like you can order a pizza from the same pizza place right and they may deliver it to you in various different ways um they may deliver it on a bike they may deliver it in a car they may deliver it um by hand there's different ways to deliver the same thing such case with the essence of the mass so the essence of the mass is a person his name is jesus christ 
So when people in our world today, Jerry, you know, they're talking about, oh, well, I don't know if God is real. Uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be verifiable. How can we trust the scriptures? And so the great thing about being a Catholic is that we always get to tell people, oh, if you want to see Jesus, oh, you want to see Jesus? You want to see Jesus? Oh, just come to the mass. He, he's there, body, blood, soul, flesh, and divinity. He's right there. He comes to us. He comes to dwell with his people, just as he did 2,000 years ago in a different way. He comes to dwell with his people again into into their bodies. And so that's what we call the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. It's the most unique and the most special thing about Catholicism that sets us apart from any other faith tradition in the entire world, in the universe, that God, every mass, <laughs> every day of the year, except for Good Friday, Jesus comes to his people in the mass. And so that's the essence of it. It's a person and it doesn't change. It's been with us for 2000 years. And then the upcoming months, I know a lot of people don't understand the Eucharist and what that means. And that we say Jesus is in every Catholic church and the world um, is the only um, place where we can get that. But in upcoming months, we will go over that more in depth. So, but man, let's start out with the most basic, basic question of Christianity, which is, why are Catholics called Catholic? Where does, it, where does the word Catholic come from? What does it mean? And who started calling us Catholic and why? And why don't we just call ourselves Christians? I mean, <laughs> why, uh, why don't we do that? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question because it sets up some sort of like dichotomy. Like there's some like there's the vision just in the name itself. So I guess we could work through that. But the question itself, I think, would point to the. Another very unique thing about the Catholic Church is that in every other Christ-professing religion, we can tell us, you know, we can uh, point to or we can prove who their founder is, right? If we point to the Methodist Church, we can say, well, John Wesley. We won't point to the Anglicans or the Episcopalians. We'll, we'll say King Henry VIII, right? The Mormons even, we appointed Joseph Smith. So every, all these different thousands of them, Christ-professing denominations, they all have a founder who is a human, mm. who is a man. Wow. Now, when it comes to the Catholic Church, not, not such the case. <laughs> our, our, mm. our faith tradition was founded by God himself. Jesus Christ himself comes and he establishes his church. We see that in the scriptures. He tells Peter, on you, I will establish my church. We see that in the book of Acts. We see these same apostles who spent time with Jesus now establishing this community of believers, baptizing them hundreds and thousands at, at a time. So the apostles who were baptizing, we see them come out at Pentecost. Peter, he had this great sermon um, to the Jews there at Pentecost. He didn't found the Catholic Church that day. No, because who did he belong to? He was an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ himself. So what Peter is doing was a participation in what Jesus Christ has started. So this is the church of the apostles. So, and we see in Acts, this church of the apostles, um, we hear um, a phrase that says, well, they they started calling them Christians. They were, called, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Mm. Okay. So this is not something that um, the historical record is saying that 
these Christians were calling themselves. No, this, this is what they were calling them. So other people say, oh, those, those Christians. Okay. So it was never something named. We never, you know, we, we were just followers of Jesus Christ. We're followers of the way, the life and the truth. Right. Right. But, you know, people had to identify. So those, those Christians, you know, they're, eh, they're kind of like Jews, but not really. Right. Right. They, <laughs> they believe that the Messiah came. Okay. They followed the Messiah. They, they're, they're, they follow the Messiah. So, and this is around 40, 50 AD, around that time within a decade. So, um, around 110 AD, there was a bishop of Antioch, that same church community where Christians were, where these followers of Jesus were, were first called Christians. And that was what again? 100 AD? 110 about? AD. Yeah. 110 AD. Yeah. Okay. So the, the second bishop of that church, Antioch, the first bishop was Peter. He moves and goes to Rome. Right? This is just mm-hmm. all part of the historical record. Mm-hmm. Great thing about being Catholic, right, Jerry, is that we know who all of our bishops are. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we, go, we know who every bishop of Rome was, every bishop of Antioch, and we can still go to those churches. You hop over to Jerusalem today on a plane. You can still mm-hmm. go to those churches, the same Catholic churches that's always been there. So in Antioch. Outside of Jerusalem, mm. the first bishop was Peter. Second bishop was a man named Ignatius. And so, wow. Um, I'm sorry, he wasn't a second. I think he was a third. Yeah, I think Irenaeus uh, might have been a second. So around 118 AD, you had Irenaeus. He's the bishop there, and he writes a letter in which he says that where the Catholic, where the bishops are. There is the Catholic Church. So that's the first written record we have of this community of believers who come out of the age of the apostles. And change their name to, to Catholic. Yeah, this this thing, this this thing is wow. named Catholic. So why is that though? Well, the name itself means universal, right? So so what were they mm-hmm. saying? So there are a lot of we could read this in scripture. Hold up, hold up, a lot of, hold up. Mm-hmm. Hang with us, y'all. Be patient, because this is some good stuff. This is some good stuff, man. If you just open up your eyes and your heart, this is the beginning of the faith, man. The beginning of the Christian faith, man. This is why I have my man on here. Go ahead, David. Hit me, baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the word itself is just a basic word. It's not It's not anything nefarious. It isn't, it isn't a denomination or anything like that. It's just a word. It means universal. So... Why did they have to be called? Why were they being distinguished as a universal church? Well, it's in the name itself, right? Well, it consisted of all people. Now, mm. in Scripture, we see that there's some competing denominations. We we can read some of Paul writings, and we can hear about people trying to divide the church. We can hear about these people who were going around making a shipwreck of people's faith. So there's um, there's these Jews who want Christians to follow the same uh, laws and circumcisions and all this stuff. So there's, we know about the Gnostics. They, they were, um, they were another uh, faith group, sort of, they, they had some strange ideas about Jesus Christ, but you had all these different competing religions. Um, some of them Christ professing religions going around. And so what it was, what was important for the apostles and those who descend out of the church of the apostles, those who were taught by the apostles, like Irenaeus and Ignatius, these guys who knew Peter, who knew Paul, this church that was started, um, or this church that we see um, um, the people who Christ chose at Pentecost, baptizing people in the faith, this church that that Paul belonged to, 
this church that had the, the first council at Jerusalem, when they said, oh, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. This same church that we read about in scripture that, that Paul was writing letters to, this same church, this community of churches found it important that they do distinguish themselves from all these other wow Christian communities that did not descend from the apostles. So wow. So man, that also makes sense when you you like when Jesus came, like right now, the Jews are still waiting on the Messiah to come, right? And I feel sorry for them, but they are. But Christ came and he it make what you're saying makes sense because when Christ Christ came and said, "Listen, yes, the Jews are the chosen people, but I am now bringing everybody into this. I'm bringing everybody into this now." So that makes sense. That Catholic means universal. Man. You know, what do you think? Is that and this that, is a prophecy from God Himself? A prophecy prophecy given to Isaiah. You know, and Isaiah is broken down in three books, or the third Isaiah, which I think starts in chapter fifty-two. It talks about they came back from their the second exile exile out of Babylon, and the prophets were calling them back back home, come back to Israel. And one of the first prophecies we read in chapter fifty two of Isaiah is God is promising that His church is going to be bigger than what you thought it was. <laughs> that yeah. His church is going to be bigger. So yeah. He, he yeah. opens it up. So gen, so called Gentiles are coming in. And before in Exodus, you know, your Gentiles they they had legal protections if they lived in Palestine. But now the scriptures say that in 52, it says that even if they bring their sacrifices, God will receive those if they obey the law, if they do it. So God is opening it up beyond Abraham. Okay. So, and it yeah. is, so this is the prophecy that, that it was no longer about the blood of Abraham it was no longer by his lineage. It was going to be about the blood of Christ and, and so the Holy spirit. So this is what we see. So it's, it's even in even in even in in Isaiah in Isaiah fifty two, you clearly see that God is Catholic. God is universal. Yeah. He belong. He's for all people at all times in all places. And so this is a little bit difference between us and other faith professing religions that we seem very local. You go to the churches on Sundays, kind of like all black, all Mexican. You know, it's kind of like it doesn't. It, you, you you leave the United States. You can't go to bed, so you can't go to Creflo Dollars Catholic Creflo Dollars Church in Egypt. You can't go to mm-hmm. TDJ's Church in um in in the Ukraine. But the Catholic Church is in every country of the everywhere. There's a priest. There's a mass, and that's in every country mm-hmm. of the world. It's so, Catholic. dude, so can you do me a favor? Because you brought up one of the things I was going to bring up. But you know, it's like it started with Abraham. Then it went to his family, and then it went to the, the people, and then it went to the Jew. So, can like, can you explain, like, well, not explain, but like, list how that 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 started? Like, it went from eight, and then we come to Sol- King, is it King Solomon, or King, or King David, mm-hmm. and then how that progressed to the Jews, and then you know what I'm saying? Like, does it, are you understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, not able to explain it, but just like list, like it went from Abraham to his family to his, and then now we have this big old church yeah that was remarkable to me when i first heard that yeah i think it is remarkable as well i think a great word to just create a synopsis of the whole thing is just the word covenant now clement of alexandria egypt he was a bishop there and he and his thought was that there's only been one covenant right Mm -hmm. Uh, some theologians may break it up in seven 
But what he, what, what Clement was saying is there's just been one covenant. There's been one calling of God's people. There's been one ecclesia, but there's been different phases of it throughout time. So the early, the, clearly the first phase, you know, some, some people may go back to, you know, Noah. Okay. We're, we don't have to get into the minutia of all these things, but, um, but what we see what uniquely with Abram is that God promises that I'm going to make your, your descendants as multiple as the stars in the sky. Mm. Um, and this is the promise. If um, Abraham would just go, if he would just leave and go to the promised land. And so the first covenant really consisted of Abraham and his household, those who were descendant from them. Later on, we would call them the Jews, right? Israel. And so, like, as you said, this goes through um, eventually Jacob and the descendants of Joseph and, and that group. They eventually find themselves in slavery in Egypt and Moses comes to deliver them. Same people, same <laughs> people, same descendants, right? Yep, yep. Um, Moses um, serves them and Aaron serves them, delivers them. God establishes them um, and gives them like a unique religion. Uh, for everyone who says that God doesn't believe in religion, well, just read Acts and Deuteronomy. We got priests. We got tells the priests how to dress. We got a tabernacle. How That's a true. tabernacle should look. God gets all up into the details of everything <laughs> Get about all up in there, baby. I mean, all up in there. <laughs> you mean we never see anything like this? People say, "Oh, God doesn't believe in religion." Well, God is. He believes in uh, not only religion but every aspect of your religion. Um, and so this goes through, as, as you say, um, David and King Solomon, and then we the prophets. And, and so this whole age comes to a point where now is the fulfillment of time. And we see Jesus Christ, who we know is a descendant from David. He's a descendant from this same line who comes at the fullness of time. His mother, I'm sorry, um, he has that bloodline from his mother. But the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And um, so he is born fully God and fully man. So, and and why this is important because all the Jews had was just a sacrifice. They had you could take a lamb, a dove, whatever, sacrifice them for atonement. But that really didn't make us close to God. It didn't make us one with God. We're we're still quite distant from God. It, it was just atonement. But God loves us too much to just keep that relationship distant. It's just just atonement, right? What God wants is to heal us. In the way by which he healed us, he had to redeem us. But we can't redeem it. We can't, you know, you take a coupon or something to a store to be redeemed. You you have something to be redeemed. You know, this, the, the, the clerk yeah. will give you something. There's some, some sort of change. You, you have something to give, and they have something to give you back. What do we have to give God to redeem us? We didn't have nothing that we God nothing. <laughs> yeah, everything we have, everything we have, God gave to us. So we have nothing by which we can give God. Preach it, brother. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So we broke. We don't have anything, right? We broke, we broke out here. Yeah, we broke out in these streets. And so the only thing that 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 by which God could satisfy our debt of sin was himself. So um Christ Jesus, truly God, um not the father, but distinct person, but the same essence, truly God, mm-hmm. begotten by God, completely one with his father. Through that sacrifice, which was prefigured by um, um, by Jacob, um, sacf- no, um, the name just completely escaped me. 
that was prefigured um, in the Old Testament now comes to be in the New Testament where God sacrifices the son in a, in a type of way for the atonement of our sins. So whereas in an old covenant, to have your sins atoned, you would take a lamb, but Jesus Christ is the is the lamb of God himself, which um, becomes a sacrifice, becomes atonement for our sins. So in the old covenant, um, this is all prefigured. We see it in the mass and we see it in the Passover. In the old covenant, on, on the Passover, God said, if you want to be Passover, you know, I'm about to come strike down the firstborn of all the Egypt's, Egyptians, their firstborn son. But for you to be passed over this slaughter, which I'm about to put down, I need you to go find a, um, a spotless lamb. Um, I need you to sacrifice it. I need you to take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. I need you to eat it in this type of way. He gives all these prescriptions. Mm -hmm. So in a new covenant, Jesus becomes that Passover lamb. The unique thing here is here, Jerry. Is God says that this sacrifice, this Passover sacrifice, is a perpetual sacrifice. He says this three times mm. in Exodus 12. Three times he says this is a perpetual sacrifice, which means forever. Now, now when God says perpetual, he doesn't mean tomorrow. He doesn't mean he doesn't mean in two weeks from now, hundred years from now. He means forever. So when mm. Jesus Christ comes, he has to fulfill this Passover command. He has to, because God says perpetual. So Jesus Christ, he makes it perpetual. He satisfies it by sacrificing himself, him, him becoming that lamb of God. And then this is what he says at the Passover meal. He says that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and he, and he says this, that's John 6, but this he says the Passover meal. He says this, um, this, um, this bread is the, is my body which will be given up for you. So there at the Passover, he says that what you're about to eat, which in uh, God had prescribed to be a lamb, he says, this bread that I'm giving you is my body. Do this in animal of me, he says in Greek, which is equates to what God said, perpetual. This Do this in perpetual way to me. He used the same language in Exodus. Then he says, this cup is my blood. And the Jews hearing this, well, the blood at Passover was supposed to spring it on the doorpost. No, no, but Jesus now, he's saying, drink it mm -hmm. for your salvation. So it's all this same language, Jerry, from this whole covenant that's all connected throughout time by which God uses to redeem us. And this is why, this is why I say a lot that we cannot rely on our feelings when it comes to the faith. We have to get in and understand our faith. What, like you just explained, like what was God's purpose? What was he trying to do? What was he trying to accomplish when he brought Jesus here and he started his church and all of that stuff? And a lot of things that I say is, you know, the faith has been watered down for 500 years and, and people have just not gotten that anymore. They, they don't, we don't get it. And if, and a lot of times when I'm talking, people are like, I wonder where he's getting that stuff from. I'm getting it from the church, from the Catholic church yeah. is where I'm getting it. Because uh, for, if you think about it, five to 600 years ago, everybody before that was Catholic. Everybody was. And then all of a sudden, you've got all these 30 or 40,000 denominations and the faith is watered down. It's like people don't understand this part or that part. It's like Satan has took 
like the, the Holy Grail and put it in the four corners of the world of the earth and you can't find it, right? You got to go go on this big treasure hunt to find to find the meaning of the true faith. Um, and this is why I, I get, I, you know, prayer every day is not about feelings. It's about your intellect, about your will. You know, what do you think? Yeah, yeah is, is, I think you're exactly right. I think when I was coming into the Catholic Church, and you probably might say this as well, um, especially coming out of Protestantism, that I had some sort of belief that it was up to me to look at the scriptures and then interpret it myself. And and that's pretty much how the Protestant religion is kind of built. You know, we all believe that we have the Holy Spirit. We all have these scriptures and we, oh, I can interpret this and kind of understand. And we could, you could even be so arrogant to come with some sort of interpretation that nobody thought of for 2000 years. But that's what the idea of, you know, Martin Luther, his idea of scripture alone, Bible alone, you know, kind of that pride instilled it, instilled in us, you know, this idea, oh, and a lot of it, then you start believing this, you believe becoming this arrogant, right, Jerry, that you can interpret scripture yourself. Mm-hmm. And now some you hear something different than that. Now, as you say, your feelings get in the way. Oh, yeah. no, that's <laughs> no, that's not my interpretation. That's that's not what father, that's not what the pastor said. You know, all these emotions, but a good Dominican principle from the order on um, the St. Dominic started um, is is what is true. That's the bottom line. What is true? It's not about your feelings. What's true? So we're going to search for truth. And you have to be humble enough. And there's two types of people in the world, Jerry. There's the humble and there are those who are about to be humble. Two people, the <laughs> I humble, love that. I love the that. humble <laughs> and those who are about to be humbled. That's right. it. There's only two people in this world. Oh, and man. so if you're hey, can humble, can I use that? Can I use that, <laughs> oh, yeah, man? Please, can please, I please. <laughs> put on a t-shirt? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think I think if we're humble, and it is a grace from God. If we're humble, then humble humility allows us to pursue the truth at any cost, and no matter how much it hurts, and no matter how much it hurts. So that brings us to the the segment of really you know to, to we got a little history um now we're going to go into you bought a, you you started talking about it authority mm. authority um and that's what most people have the arrogance of the catholic church to say that they are the first church and that everybody is supposed to be under them and you know we don't uh, what is the, what is the other thing they say? The ecumenical, the ecumenical, ecumenical type of stuff of, you know, uh, you know, they're they're being insensitive, you know, and that goes along with the feelings that you're talking about, right? I mean, yeah, I think so. And Jesus Christ Himself, He said when He's, he's speaking to His apostles. Now, when I was a Protestant, I always had a tendency to look at the scriptures, and I just want to apply everything to me. But Jesus isn't in the scripture; He's speaking to His apostles at times. Other times he's speaking to the disciples. Other times he's speaking to Pharisees. And it's, it's weird when Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, we don't never want to apply that to me. But whenever he's speaking to his apostles, we want to say, oh, oh that's apply that's, no. That's me. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> Jesus, when he's speaking to his apostles, he says this. He says, he who listens to you listens to me. All right. So. Um, and that's to his apostles. It wasn't. It wasn't me. It wasn't someone ordained like my, myself. I'm not ordained. I'm not an apostle. I'm not one of his successors. So he says that he who listens to you listens to me. So that's one 
piece of evidence from the Gospels themselves that we know that Jesus Christ was establishing um, an authority on the earth. And so this wasn't anything foreign in the Old Testament. We knew the Levitical priesthood, they had authority to do, do unique things. They're the only ones who could touch the Ark of the Covenant. They're the ones that offered the sacrifices. So, so in the New Testament, we see a new priesthood, Christ Jesus clearly establishing them in the book of in the John. He does use the word ordained when he cho- he's choosing the cho- choosing them. Why should we think this is strange that there's some sort of authority here? So, also in John in chapter twenty, we see Jesus saying that he breathes on them again, his apostles, not a bunch of disciples. No, his apostles are there, and I think all of them except for Thomas that day. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tommy, Thomas wasn't there. Of course, Judas wasn't there. Um, and he see he breathes on them, and he says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." He says, "Who sins you forgive are forgiven them. Who sins you retain are retained." Um, and so, and a unique thing about um, confession is that it comes a responsibility. So when Jesus, so when Peter in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, he confesses, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Because he confessed that Jesus gave him a responsibility. He says, okay, on, on you, um, you uh, blood and flesh has now revealed it to you by my father in heaven. Uh, I give you the keys and on you establish my church. So that confession came with a duty. Just like we tell our wife, Jerry, you talk about this all the time. If a man, if a man say, I love you. It's his woman, his beloved. That got to be backed up with some actions. Confession <laughs> has to be backed up with action. Confession comes with responsibility. You just don't confess something and don't do it. You just confess something and your wife not going to hold you to that. And so same with scriptures. And so we see that and we see with, with Peter again, Jesus says, Jesus keeps asking Peter, you know, do you love me? In Greek is like, do you, do you phileo me? Do you love me? No, he says, do you agape me? And Peter says, hey, I phileo you. You know, I love you in a brotherly way. And then he says, well, feed my sheep. So this confession, Jesus matches it with a responsibility. Okay, feed my sheep. He asks him again, do you love me? Do you agape me? I phileo you. Pasture my sheep. Do you agape me? I, I phileo you. Well, tend to my sheep. This is duty. So every time, um, so this goes back again to John 20. Jesus confesses um, uh, by which he gives them the Holy Spirit, and he say, "Who says who sins you forgiven are forgiven them?" Um, we see this duty now. Also, unique thing I would say, Jerry, unique, very unique. There's three times in in Scripture where God breathes on in or um, on or in something, all right, or into. The first time is in Genesis where. God breathes into the nostrils of man. Mm. And immediately from that breath comes authority. Yes. Man was given a duty to um, name animals, which is give you a lot of authority. He, he said, tend to, um, the, uh, to the planet, you know, everything that, that here is under your dominion. So that he breathed in them and then came responsibility, came authority. The next time here is in John 20, he breathed in them gave them authority to forgive sins. The next time God breathes something, Paul talks about it um, in, in, in 2 Timothy 
uh, when Paul says all scripture is God breathed, the word he used is theonutus. All scripture is God breathed and it has and is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting and all these other things. And so even scripture has authority. It doesn't have the soul authority, right? It doesn't, it doesn't say that, um, but it has authority to do the things that appertain to it. The purview that was given to it, teaching, correcting, rebuking and a couple other things. So three times God breathed, three times that authority was given to that thing. So authority is just throughout, throughout scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And so how does this translate to the Catholic church? Well, we believe that the apostle, that God, all these promises that God made forgive sins and all this other stuff. We don't think God just stopped. Let's say, okay, after apostles died, that's just going to stop. Now, we believe that this is the mission of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God that continues until Jesus Christ returns. God gave us work to do. This is another another creation moment. Just like he breathed on Adam and gave him a job to do, he breathed onto the apostles, gave them a job to do. That's going to continue until Jesus Christ returns. And so they have successors to the word. Those who they ordain with their hands are their successors. And this is the word that's continued for the last 2,000 years. Now, we look at Protestants, and we kind of, we're kind of weird. We're like, okay, well, how do you have authority to do that? Like, y'all just starting up churches. Where is that in the Bible? Where does the Bible say you just start up a church? Like, what authority do you have to do that? Nowhere in the Bible says anybody that's not an apostle can start a church. So all these things that we're just confused about um, by people doing things that God didn't have give them authority to do. So there's, there's a big difference here between what the apostles were teaching, what the Catholic Church is still following, and what people with their emotions and their feelings won't just make up and do because it makes them feel good. Okay, so so that brings well, you've kind of explained a lot of it, but one of the uh, one of the, the the misconceptions concerning the Christianity and the Catholic faith is all Christians have the authority to interpret the Bible. So in um, John fourteen twenty six, um, that like rebukes that is states, um, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So all Christians have the authority to interpret scripture, which is basically false. So to explain that passage, interpret that passage, during the Last Supper, Jesus told the apostles that the Holy Spirit would come and teach them and also remind them of all that he had taught them. Jesus is speaking only to the apostles, not in the great multitudes which he frequently addressed. He gave the governing and interpretive power to the apostles and their successors. We as faithful Catholics submit to Christ and are obedient to his church, which leads and teaches us. And that's kind of what you went into, like when Christ was speaking to Peter, he wasn't wasn't talking to everybody, right? Exactly. I mean, there's, yeah, I think that's clear in, in scripture. Jesus kind of makes it clear, you know, mm-hmm. who, who is he talking to? Who is he not talking to? And here's another one. Here's another one, Jerry. It's in John chapter 5, 39 to 40. And Jesus uh, is speaking. He says, he's talking to the Jews at this point. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So uh, so the idea that scripture has some sort of a, 
sole authority over our life is not affirmed by scripture itself on all these accounts. So, so we, we don't go to scripture for our sole authority. It, it is the word of God. Um, thanks to the Catholic church, it was per, per, persevered, is protected and eventually canonized our 73 books. So it is useful for those things that, that Paul was talking about, even though he's probably talking about the old Testament at, at that time, but we can apply that to the new Testament. It is useful for these things. But the scriptures itself do not have their own authority. The scriptures need an authentic interpreter. Um, mm -hmm. It needs one interpreter. It needs what Catholics call magisterium. And as long as we have that sole authority, that um, that sole interpreter, that magisterium, that, that teacher that does have authority from God to teach the apostles, then we won't get into the, the confusing things that we see in today's age. Just 50 years ago, no Protestant church was teaching that gay marriage is okay. None of them saying abortion was okay. A hundred years ago, another one was saying that anybody can come in and receive communion. Everybody said, no, if you're Methodist, you can only receive communion if you're a Methodist. Everybody understood some basic things. Nobody was saying that a boy can be a girl, girl can be a boy. Um, so, um, in the, but the Catholic church um, has been very consistent on all these issues that people have uh, found very confusing today, right? that, that the lie has crept in, but only Catholic Church has stayed true. So this is, I think, one example, Jerry, that our way works, that everyone just can't come in and interpret scripture. We have one magisterium, we have one teacher, and it's their authority to teach what the Holy Spirit has revealed so that we don't live in, a, in a, uh, what was happening today um, uh, would have never happened if we just stay the course with the Catholic church 500 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and that just, that goes down to that. We all have to understand you can, in every organization in the world, there, there cannot be 25 chiefs. There cannot be, there has to be one thing that we all go under, like the family. We have to be under a, a leader, uh, our job. We have to be under a leader and the church is no different. Um, the problem with all the Christian churches being all separate is everybody just does what they want. But then you have to ask yourself, is that what Christ wants? Did Christ say, I, all, all my churches, you know, you know, feed my churches, give me all these churches? No, the church is the church and there should be one church. So the next one is apostolic succession is a Catholic invention. So that. That's a tough one. So apostolic succession is a Catholic invention. And so we go to Acts 2.42 to, um, to talk about that one. Scripture, and they devoted, uh, quote, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Explanation. The apostles handed on the teachings of Jesus to new apostles, as this verse indicates. Apostolic succession was clearly exercised in the early church and continued throughout history. It is true that we are called to evangelize as the apostles did, but not all are called to have the same functions as those in the ministerial priesthood. See Titus 1.5. And so that goes on with what you're saying about how the covenant people couldn't Nobody could touch the, the Ark of the Covenant, but the priest back, you know, before in the yeah. Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Right. 
So kind of repeat a little what you said on, on those things, on that, on that. Yeah, I think, yeah, that point was that Jesus Christ came to um, not abolish, but to fulfill the old covenant, the old law. And so there's going to be some things that come over in their fulfilled way. One of those things is the priesthood. The priesthood is still with us. Jesus Christ, clearly in Hebrews, the book, you know, is, he, he's identified as the high priest. Mm-hmm. But um, even a high priest in the old covenant still has priests under him who participate in his high priesthood, who participate in the sacrifice, who who um, who tend to it. So in, in the new covenant, that's what we see. We have priests and bishops who are participating in the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. So that, that continues. In the old covenant, there was confessions. You went to a Levitical priest and you had a confession um, because he had to hear your sins and then he'll do your atonement, you know, do your sacrifice. In a new covenant, sacrifices look different. I mean, confession is looked different ways, but the principle is still the same. You go to a priest, you confess your sins and you receive absolution. It's, it's, it's so much carryover. So Catholicism is the closest thing we see to Judaism, but we have a Messiah. And so, so that's what we see. So there's no, there's no break. And we go from, we go from Judaism to Jesus Christ to his new covenant church. There's, there's no break. And so also there's no break in, a, in authority. Another piece we see in Second Thos- Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, Paul, he's writing there to the church of Thessalonica, and he's saying, I think he says this a couple places as well, but he says, obey not only the letter, but also the word. So obey not just what we're writing you, but also what we speak. Also in Thessalonians, he, he talks about his his example. So apostles have like a living example. He says, I came to work with you, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't set any bad example. Just follow what I do. So it's the letters, the word, it's the apostolic example. So and so that is also part of the authority piece. So where does this? What is the apostolic word? Well, well we know the letter, right? We, we can see, we can read the letters, we could get that. But what's this tradition? This oral tradition that's being passed down. So this this is only what you get from the Catholic Church. One example is Scripture. You know where where did your, where your Bible come from? Now, that's an apostolic tradition. Those are the letters that we put together. And those are letters. Those are books that we eventually canonize. Um, Sunday worship. Scripture sort of alludes to it. They gathered on Sundays, it says in Acts, but that is always going to be Sunday worship. That's a, a Catholic tradition. Um, the date of Christmas, the date of Easter, the word Trinity, all, all these things that we believe are, are these apostolic traditions that, that's being passed down from one generation to the next. So that, that's the authority piece as wow. well. So, and so all of this right there. Okay. Beautiful, David. Dang, man. So look, I know this is not quite your field, but no, it probably is, but you probably have to dig deep to pull it out though. <laughs> <laughs> so demons and authority. Hmm. So the authority, I, I talk about a lot on my shows and in my articles and when I talk to my clients about, you know, we might not understand authority as as a Catholic or as a, as a, as a, as a Methodist or a Baptist, but the demons do. And so the demons 
are are fallen angels, and so they understand authority very, very well, um, which is why the Catholic Church has exorcists. Um, and so, I want can you comment on that a little bit about demons, how they the authority comes from, like a priest um, is able to combat the demons and to exorcise demons, but Johnny Joe's church over on 21st and Capitol, he he can't exercise, he can't exercise nothing. Why? Because of authority, right? What do you say? Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah. I think that's a great example. And I think we'll probably get into some more of it later on when we talk about the Holy Eucharist. But those I think those are two great examples. So even the scriptures that the demons recognize this authority from God, um, you know, Jesus cast these demons out. He even tells us the apostles to do it. Then he says at some point in time, oh, some things only come out with prayer and fasting as well. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, my time is Protestant, perhaps your time as well. We remember, you know, these deliverances, you know, these prayers of deliverance, these, these groups, you know, we said, you know, we're going to bind and loose things. You know, we, we speak like this, you know, in the name of Jesus, we're going to bind up this donut, you know, all, you know, so don't make me fat anymore. All, all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but it's different in the Catholic church because the priests, again, are the successors where they participate in the successors ministry. Who are the bishops? The bishops, successors and the priests participate in that ministry. And so through that, they have this, the same authority that Jesus Christ told them at the end of every book, um, every gospel, God in, um, cast out demons in my name. But he also says things feed and he says teach, you know, baptize. So all the authority, all of the whole mission that Christ gave his church to proclaim the word, to perform works of, of charity and to offer the sacraments is what the ministry of the priests are participating in. And that includes exorcism, um, casting out demons. So when and it used to be the case in every movie you saw was a priest in there. And so when the priest prays the prayers of exorcisms, um, demons are truly listening, delivered in a, in a <laughs> yes. safe or cast out in a safe way. Um, mm-hmm. And because that, they, that they're obeying authority of the priest that comes from God himself. Beautiful. So that's very unique. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, like, I was and, and I could. Be com- I don't know. I don't think I'm completely wrong, but there could be some a little wrong in what I'm saying because sometimes I say some things of what I think because of what I've heard from other priests and exorcists and stuff. But authority, God, Jesus Christ, husband and wife, mm-hmm. and so the only there's only so I there's only two people that are authorized to be blessing people. And putting their hands on people, and that is Christ, bishops and priests, and the head of a household. The man is authorized, the head of the household, the husband is authorized to bless his wife and to bless his children. And no one else can do that, you know. And so I want to bring that to you, and I think that kind of goes along with what you were saying. And we see it in Ephesians. I think when, when Paul, he's writing, he says, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so that's a deep, I'm sure you've talked about this a lot of times. I mean, because that's, that's one of the deepest things I, I think in scripture It's so profound. It goes deep on so many levels. That love is a sacrificial love, but also it's all a love of blessing. 
Um, and so, yeah, the husband has been given that authority to love his wife, which is, you know, also the mother, the children, so the whole family there as Christ loved the church. And he says, husband, wives, love, 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 um, um, respect your husbands and all yes, of that. But, and, yeah. And, and so, but it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different, um, ministry, right? It's a different office. Now we're all priests, prophets, and Kings, according to our baptism. All right. Mm-hmm. We're all belong to the baptized priesthood. Fine. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about the authority piece. The authority piece, baby. Yeah. And, yes. and so that's that's unique to the father and the husband. So the last the last uh misconception we have for the week is Christ is the only head of the church. That is a misconception. So we go to Matthew, which you were which you related to earlier, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. Explanation. Christ is the head of the church, but he did appoint a prime minister to build his church. Peter was the first prime minister, a.k.a. Pope, to present the head of the church on earth. The name Peter Kepha means a large, massive rock, not a little stone as some would suggest, Christ was not building his church upon Peter's recognition of who Christ is, but upon Peter himself. The powers of death shall not prevail against it. This means the church will prevail until the end against Satan, evil himself. So what do you think about that, David? Man, I think that's one of the most powerful things that, that I realized when I was becoming a Catholic, just by looking at the, the, that text in Greek, because I noticed that in, in Greek, it was like the same word. You know, it was, um, yes, you are Kepa, and upon this Kepa, I will build my church. So there's, there wasn't a difference between Peter and rock. Like we have, in English, we just have too many different words for the same thing. So yeah, we, would call <laughs> we do. <a> rock. Yeah, <laughs> we would call it a, a rock. He said Peter, you know, we, uh, we would call it rock as well. But in, in Greek, it was just one word. So I think they understood it better. So that's one thing. They understood it better. You are Kepa. And upon this capa, I will build my church. Clear as day. But also the Jew hearing this, the Jew is a little bit confused by this because the Jew, he, you know, he's thinking about the Psalms, thinking about the Old Testament. He's like, wait, hold up, Jerry. Hold up. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God is rock. God is my rock and my salvation. This is uh, God is the cornerstone. All this, this, this image of rock, water coming out of a rock, all this, all this Old Testament <laughs> thick language of a rock is associated with God himself. At no point in time in scripture is a man called a rock. At no point in time is a man called Kepa. But here, Jesus Christ has given this man, this human being, the name of God in a sort of way. He called him Kepa. This is, this, this is something. And then later on, he's going to tell this same man, Peter, that he's a shepherd. Wait, wait a minute. God is shepherd. This is in Ezekiel. This is in so many books of Old Testament. So the same person God calls a rock and shepherd, a name that was only associated with him. Wait a minute. There's something unique and special about Peter here. And, and so, yes. Peter uniquely participates in the ministry, in the work of the Godhead through the church in the temple. The Holy Spirit is a temple. Um, the temple, uh, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So 
Peter is unique and his assessors are uniquely participating in this joint mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit to bring about um, to bring about all 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 the things that um, the work of salvation on earth. So Peter is uniquely participating in that. So yeah, he's not Peter is not God, but he's he's not the rock, which is Jesus. He's not the shepherd, which is Jesus. But from Jesus' words himself, he's given Peter the authority to participate in this rock, in his shepherdhood for the work of salvation. This is why Peter comes out after, he's the first person that speaks in the book of Acts. He's the one that's speaking. Um, um, he's the one that Jesus makes the promise to when Peter's about to deny him three times, denies him three times. He said, um, go back and I'm going to pray for you that you will strengthen your brothers. This only only person we've seen Jesus say that he's going to pray for in this way um, so that he will strengthen his brothers. So, um, so this is another authority piece. So Peter has this authority to be the source of unity and strength for his brothers. So Jesus gives Peter so much authority and his assessors also participate in that same authority. And this is what we call the ministry of Peter or the Petrine ministry. Um, Beautiful. May, maybe not all popes, you know, we've had hundreds of them since, you know, last 2000 years. Maybe not every single one of them are also in that ministry, just because they're the Bishop of Rome, they may not be in that ministry because we have bad posts to recognize that. Thank you. But <laughs> we, we do, but, right, but we do recognize that in. this is a Thank ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. This is a ministry. Yeah. And, and, um, and that only the Pope, the successor of Peter, um, may be called um, to participate in. All right, man, that is great. So, and that's the last thing I'm gonna say, and then we're we're done because um um I want to do some more. I have some comments. I have, but we just don't have time. Um, but everything. This is the thing that people don't understand. You know, everything God says, everything God does, everything His church says, everything His church does. Just like in the in the mass, everything has a meaning. There is nothing that is done in the church. There is nothing that's, that God says that does not have meaning. But people in today's, we only we read things and look at things and only see, like you said earlier, have benefits us. Um, and that to me, um, and that to me uh, help, you know, that to me, that's one of the things I love about the church, the Catholic church, the liturgy is I know that everything that's happening in that mass on that Sunday at that time, it has a meaning, a specific thing. Now, I'm Jerry. I don't know everything that everything means, but even just the incense and the way the 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 the, the priests are dressed and the way the altar boys are dressed and their movements, everything has a meaning. And this is the beauty that we are missing sometimes, right? Yeah, I think so as well. My first time stepping into a Catholic church coming out of Protestant, you know, I was still Protestant at the time. Um, um, and just going into a Catholic mass, Jerry, just seemed, it was like a sacred space. People were quiet. They were on their knees. They were reverent. I wouldn't use that word back then. I didn't know what that mean. I probably didn't know what sacred space meant either. But it was clearly something different going on here. And then I learned that, well, this is ancient worship. That's been going on for 2,000 years. Yes. So yes, it wasn't just somebody making up something. Hey, look at your neighbor and turn to your neighbor and say, you know, okay, that's, 
okay, I, I I get it. I get it. Charismatic preachers, you know, everything like okay, right. But because it's all based on feeling, it's yeah. all based on feelings, and feelings will leave us. And I'm sorry to say, but hey, mm-hmm. David. Where can we go to learn more about what you are doing? And do you have any current projects you would like us to know about? Yeah. Um, best way to find out some of the projects I'm into is going to stdominicsmedia.com. That's stdominicsmedia.com. And got a new project that's going on. It's called Return to Sacred. Um, and um, Jerry Jacobs Jr., he has a wonderful <laughs> lesson course. or It's the course. That's what the course is. And yet in that course, he has a lesson talking about uh, fatherhood, manhood, husbandry, and how that connects to the sacred. So we've lost a sense of the sacred. We got women, we got people going around talking about shout your abortion. What, what's happened? Were we talking about shout that you killed your baby? I know. Oh, I saw that. Off in this world. Oh. So we need to talk about that. And that's what we're doing in this series. That's pa- Dude, that was painful. Yeah. I saw a woman. And she had a sign up that said something like that. And I just, it was, it was just painful to even see it, man. Yes. Something's wrong. Something's off. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming out to hang with the Catholic Alpha Radical live show this morning and and preaching to the, preaching to the flock a little bit. But as you know, all we're trying to do is inform. We're not dogging out anybody, but it's the truth. We've got to start giving our husbands and our men and our fathers the truth to give them the power to do what they need to do in their home. And so that being said, man, David, thank you very much, man. And uh, I guess I'll see you next month. Yeah, Jerry. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's great. We didn't touch on that, but I will say real quick, being, being a man is being a Catholic because as a man, you need authority. You need a father. And that's what that's what you're not a man unless you're a Catholic. That, that's what I would say. At least that's what I found out. And so I look forward to talking to you some more about that, Jerry. Yes, sir, brother. Thank you. If you're getting value from this podcast and would like more personal marriage help, visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for an opportunity to work with me personally for free. Yes, within 30 days, learn how to become a better husband that attracts your wife back to you. Visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com and get a plan tailored specific to your marriage and situation. I've helped hundreds of men in their marriages. Allow me the chance to help you using my personal and gained experience. Visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for superior coaching for your marriage. Again, SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com. That's SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com to become the man God created you to be and the husband your wife needs. Lastly, I always get the question, why don't you help women? And I always answer them, I do. So for all of you beloved wives out there that want to reignite that feeling of emotional closeness and complete love from your hubby, consider marriage coaching and visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for an improved marriage within 30 days. Hey, 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 we are back, and I sincerely hope that you guys uh, really, really enjoyed that, and that's going to be, I don't hardly talk about the Catholic faith in detail that much, it's because, you know, I try to correlate everything to marriage, Um, but the thing about marriage is it hits every corner of the globe, every part of the faith, 
and it, it really does. And so, you know, I am not, you know, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a historian. I'm not a Catholic theologian or anything like that. And so I wanted to bring him in to let him do a little every month, once a, once a month, I think talking about the church, Christianity in depth and the Catholic faith in depth, I don't think that's going to hurt anything. Matter of fact, it'll probably, you guys will probably start looking forward to it. Um, David's the man, dude. He's the man, and he's very insightful. He's very passionate, as you can see, uh, about about his faith and about what we're trying to do. Um, and so, I hope that helped you guys, and and you learned a few things, and um, and and Matt made you pose some questions too, right? Um, with so with that being said, we are done for today, and tomorrow or the next show, we will pick up with part three of the eighteen. Uh, eight, uh, spiritual head in your family, 18 ways to become the spiritual head in your family for love, devotion, respect, and trust. Um, and so tomorrow we'll finish that. The next show will be tomorrow. And I hope you guys tune in for that. So let's get out of here. Thank you again so much for hanging out. And you fellas into my program. I will see you tomorrow, Thursday night for group. So make sure y'all there. <laughs> so as we always do, we end with a quote from Pope Benedict XVI, which states, society offers you comfort, but you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Now go forth, Christian soldier. The spiritual fight is up on you. Fast, pray, and prepare for battle. Thank you for listening in today. If what you heard helped you in any way and you would like more personal attention, visit SaveMyCatholicMarriage.com for superior marriage coaching. And remember to join the Catholic Alpha Radical Live podcast as a caller or listener every Tuesday through Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. To join as a caller, dial area code 313-RADICAL. To join as a listener or view the live stream, visit the Catholic Alpha Radical Live Facebook page or visit CatholicAlpha.com for Catholic marriage help that actually works. Bang!